Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I read a tweet yesterday from, I guess, a skeptic who's professing to be a Christian who said, what would change in your life if you found out and you knew that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? And people would say, I wouldn't be a Christian. He would say, why not? Isn't there a good teaching? And the answer is, well, because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then Christ is a liar. And the Bible isn't true. And so I wouldn't be a Christian. We would have no hope if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. But saints gather all around the world every Sunday to remember and to remind themselves that Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but has risen from the dead. And so therefore we have hope. And so we gather this morning again to renew that hope in Christ Jesus. My name is PJ. I'm one of the four pastors here at the church. And it's a joy to bring God's word to you this morning. So because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bibles and open it to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardcover Bible in the chair in front of you. You can pull that out and go to page 1044 in that pew Bible, page 1044. We're looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. If this is your first time looking at a Bible, uh, the two, when I say chapter 2, that's the big numbers in your Bible. And when I say verses 16 to 23, those are the small numbers. And so when I'm referring to different verses, it's the different small numbers in chapter 2 that I'm referring to. Hear God's word as we continue to work our way through Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or Sabbath days. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance belongs to Christ. That's a footnote translation there, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of the world, why do you live as if you still belong to them? Belong to the world. Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste. Don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, humility, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us in all wisdom. Father, there are many dangers, toils, and snares in our lives and until we make it home. And many of these are ideological. Many of these are arguments and judgments that displace Christ and that captivate our souls. We're all captivated, Lord, by different ideas. And so we pray that you would captivate us with Christ. Captivate us with your truth. Captivate us by your word. Captivate us by your spirit. That we might be protected and aware to discern and deny false judgments, tricky arguments, 
that wage war on our souls and on the souls of those we love. Lord, we are sobered by the thought that even among this room here and the children who are meeting in different rooms, that many of them will be captivated by bad ideas. We pray that it wouldn't be so. Help us to continue in Christ all the way to the end, enjoying fullness in Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you'd protect our church and that this word would be a bomb and a protection and a, a shield to our church until we make it home. So shift the direction of our lives and of our church by this word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In, my picture, in, my, in my study, I have a picture of a children's class that I'm in with at least two other members of our church with a bunch of children. And I was looking at that picture this week and thinking of how many of these kids are still following Jesus. Most of them, I think there's like maybe 13 or 14 kids, I think, Four or five I know are still following Jesus. Maybe five or six are still following Jesus. There's some that I know are not following Jesus. And I remember being a kid in church, memorizing Bible verses, memorizing songs, loving the church family. And um, that was, I think that picture's like maybe 1990 or 1989. And um, there have been many ideas and arguments and philosophies and judgments that I've heard along the way in my life up until this point. And so have everyone in that picture. And for some of them, those ideas have taken hold such that they no longer profess faith in Jesus Christ and follow him. I'm just watching the kids gather over here, watching them through this little window I have here to see them walking out and just thinking, what are they going to hear today? They're going to hear a message about Christ. They're going to go home and they're going to hear other things. And throughout the rest of their life, we're going to planting another seed, watering another seed. And Lord, let it, let it take, let it stick, let it last all the way to the end so that they are not captivated by ideas that displace Christ. That's the main goal of this sermon and really this message, which is part two of last week since I didn't finish last week. The main goal of the sermon, this two-part sermon, is discern and deny captivating and Christ-displacing arguments and judgments. Discern these arguments and judgments and deny these captivating, Christ-displacing arguments and judgments so that you continue living your fullness in Christ Jesus. Again, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 is the main command of the whole book, I think. It's, it says, continue to walk in Christ. That's the goal. There's so much thanksgiving in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Paul is so thankful that you need to continue to walk in Christ. Continue to suffer in Christ and continue to proclaim Christ and hear Christ so that you trust Christ all the way to the end of your life. That's the main command of the book. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 23 is the negative way of continuing in Christ. Namely, see to it. Be careful, verse 8, that no one takes you captive through philosophies and empty deceit based on human tradition and based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. That's the main command of, the, of, of chapter 2. Don't be taken captive to bad ideas, arguments, and judgments. Chapter 3, verses 1 all the way to chapter 4, verse 6, is how you pursue Christ, how you continue to live in Him. So chapter 2 is don't do this. Beware of this. Stay away from this. Chapter 3 is run to this. Okay, and so in chapter 2 now, part 2, verses 16 to 23, we're continuing to think about the things to, to avoid or to deny in our lives. And the key word here is to discern these ideas. Discern captivating and Christ-displacing arguments and judgments. Last week, we talked about Christ-displacing arguments. 
the arguments that are not placed in Christ. And Paul gave us four reasons why. So look at verse 8 again. Let's go to verse 8. It says this. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than based on who? Christ. So in other words, we need to accept and be captivated by arguments based on Christ. So chapter 2 verses 9 through 15 are telling us why we should love to and desire to be captivated by the truths and the theologies and the philosophies that point legitimately and connect accurately to Christ. Why? Four reasons. In um, we covered last week, this is all review, in verse, verses 9 and 10, because you've been completed in Christ. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells in Christ bodily, and that Christ fills you. You're filled in Him. You're united to this God-man, Jesus Christ, and you're filled and fulfilled and completed in Christ. And then the other three reasons are really an expansion of this filling in Christ. What does it mean to be filled in Christ? It means that you're circumcised in Christ, verses 11 and 12. That the body of flesh, the old PJ, the old you, the sinful, rebellious, hostile old self that you were born with and grew up in was put off when Christ died for you. You died with Christ and you were buried with Christ in baptism. And in that burial with Christ, your old self was killed, was buried, and was cut off and dispensed with, was put away. That's how you're filled in Christ. You're circumcised in Christ. Another way you're filled in Christ is because you were given life in Christ. When God not only, Christ was not only in the grave, God raised him from the dead and he made you alive together with Christ. You are given life in Christ and forgiveness of all your trespasses in this forgiveness or in this life in Christ. That's verses 13 and 14. And lastly, you are included in Christ's victory. You're included in Christ's victory. That was verse 15 last week. Christ, God in Christ, triumphed over the authorities and the rulers in the heavenly places, demons. He, he triumphed over them in Christ. And so because of these things, you have, you're forgiven of all your sins. You're alive in Christ. You're circumcised in Christ. You're complete in Christ. You're victorious in Christ. Therefore, let the philosophies and truths that are according to Christ, that are based on Christ, let those captivate you. And don't let any ideas, any arguments that are not based on Christ, that are not according to Christ, don't let any of those take you captive. All right, that was all last week. And so just a call, look at verse, um, maybe if I could just pull out one verse here. Look at verse uh, 14. In, in giving us life, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. He has taken away this debt of obligations, the certificate of debt, by nailing it to what? The cross. So this is the good news, that you're filled in Christ. So if you're not a Christian, please pay attention here. This is the main message. So if, if you don't hear anything else as, a, as a, someone who's not a Christian, listen to this. This is the gospel, okay? The gospel is that Christ takes sinners and takes their certificate of debt, takes all of their sins, all of their debt, all of their disobedience to God, and he, he wipes it away. He erases it by nailing it to the cross. By dying on the cross for our sins, God the Father nails our certificate to Christ's cross, and Jesus pays the price for our sins. This is the good news. And why is this good news? You're saying, I didn't know there was bad news. Well, there is bad news, and this is why it's good news. Because the bad news is that you are a sinner, that you've rebelled against God. And you say, why, why am I obligated to this God? Because this God created you. He made you, and you live in his world. 
And everything you love and enjoy and everything you do and everything you accomplish is done in his power for his glory. Yet you don't give him credit for the power and you don't do it for his glory. And he made you to enjoy him with his people on a new earth forever. But you've rejected that. I have rejected that in my sin. And because of that, the penalty for that is not only enslavement to sin, but death, eternal death, damnation in hell, the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And every one of you here, including me, all of us deserve to be thrown in this lake of fire forever for our sins. But here's the good news, and I already said it, but I'll say it again. God sent his son Jesus, who became a man, took on human nature, fully God, fully man. He lived the life we should have lived. He died on a cross, and God took all the debts of his people on a certificate, put it on that cross, and punished Jesus on that cross for not his sins, he never sinned, for our sins, and gives us his righteousness. Christ was buried in the tomb. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And everyone who repents from their sin and trusts in him will be restored to this resurrected Messiah, this resurrected Savior, who will come again to restore this whole earth to a right relationship with God, where we flourish on this earth with God in fullness of joy forever and ever and ever. That's coming one day. So if you're not a Christian, here's the invitation to you. Turn from your sins and turn from your goodness and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. He will save you. That is the gospel message. All right, so that was all last week in terms of discerning and denying, captivating and Christ-displacing arguments that are not based on Christ. Because you want all the arguments, if they're based on Christ, you want that to captivate you. But it's not just arguments that we want to discern. It's also judgments. What's the difference between an argument and judgment? An argument is a whole setup, right? It's not just, it's not just don't eat food. It's not just go to church. It's not just um, trust in Jesus. There's an argument to it. Why trust in Jesus? Because he died for your sins. Because he rose from the dead. There's a whole argument to it. But the, the, the judgment is trust in Jesus and repent from your sins. That's like the declaration, right? The command. So we don't only need to discern arguments, what they're based on. We also need to discern commands. Christ displacing judgments. And that's verses 16 through 23. Now, the reason we do 16 through 23, look at verse 16. What's the very first word of verse 16? Therefore, don't let anyone judge you. Why should you not let anyone judge you? Because of what we just said. Because you're, you're completed in Christ. You're circumcised in Christ. You're given life in Christ. You're included in Christ's victory. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in matters of food and drink, in matters of festival or new moon or Sabbath days. And then in verse 18, don't let anyone condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and worship of angels. So here are some judgments that Paul is now getting very specific. Hey, here are some judgments that people are saying. You need to discern these things. You need to deny these things in your life. And don't let them be applied to you and oppress you and captivate and control you. Don't let them do it. Now, I want to think about different judgments, okay? So let me give you at least two categories of judgments. You need to discern expired biblical judgments. You need to discern expired biblical judgments. I'll give you a second category. A second category would be you need to discern extra biblical judgments, okay? Discern expired biblical judgments and then discern extra biblical judgments. What's an expired biblical judgment? It's a judgment that is true and biblical, but it is expired. In other words, it no longer applies. You're no longer obligated. It was true. It was there, but just like milk that expires all too frequently and too quickly for some, these judgments were good. 
And they were right, and they were in play, and they were obligatory, and now they are expired. And that's from verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. Therefore, because of your completeness in Christ, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of festival or new moon or Sabbath days. Now, there were commands in the Old Testament about food, about eating and drinking. Ezekiel 4.14 says this, But I said, O Lord Yahweh, I have never been defiled. From my mouth, from my youth until now, I have not eaten anything that died naturally or was mauled by wild beasts. And impure meat has never entered my mouth. I have not touched any forbidden food. That's Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, in faithfulness to God. Or even in drinking, Leviticus 10, verses 9 and 10. You and your sons are not to drink wine or beer, speaking to the priests, when you enter the tent of meeting, or else you will die. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean. So there were drinking um, restrictions for priests. What about festivals? Were there feasts in the Old Testament? Can you name any feasts? Just one. What's that? Booths? Yeah, Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of, yeah, so um, Leviticus 23 has a lot of different feasts. There's the Sabbath. There's the Passover feast. There's the first of uh, the feast of the sheaf, the first of first sheaf of harvest feast. There's a seven weeks after the first sheaf of harvest feast. There's a seventh month rest feast. There's the Day of Atonement. There's the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. Yeah, so there's many festivals. And if you look at Leviticus 23, there's so many commands of what you need to do when. What about new moons? What do we call it every time there's a new moon? What do we call it here today? A month. That's, the word, that's where the word month comes from. No, Lord's Day is a week, right? Every week. No, months. Yeah, that's based on the word moon, right? A, a new moon. Now, um, it doesn't quite follow the lunar calendar, but there used to be the months were based on, on the moon. New moons. Numbers 28, 11. At the beginning of each of your, new, of your months, present a burnt offering to Yahweh. Two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, all unblemished. So there are commands. Every new moon, you got to make sacrifices. And what about Sabbaths? Were Sabbaths commanded in the Old Testament? Yes, here's one. Uh, Numbers, Leviticus 23, 3. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to Yahweh wherever you live. These are all biblical judgments, right? Biblical commands, biblical obligations, but they are expired. They are expired. And so the reason you need to not let anyone judge you, hey, you're not keeping this new moon. Hey, you're not, you're, you're eating something you're not supposed to be eating. You're drinking something you're not supposed to be drinking. Hey, you're not keeping the Sabbath day that we're supposed to be keeping. Why are you not to let anyone judge you? What are these, what's a characteristic of these judgments? Look at verse 17. What, how would you categorize, how does Paul categorize these judgments? They are what? These are a shadow of what was to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the reason you should stay away from expired biblical judgments is because expired biblical judgments distract you. When expired biblical judgments obligate you, then they necessarily distract you. The shadows are true, but the substance is the point. And when you are focusing on the shadows, you are distracted from the point of the shadows, namely the substance. Putting the shadow over the substance is to miss the whole point of the shadow. In Hebrews 10, 1, it speaks of the Day of Atonement, the annual sacrifice, as a shadow of Christ's sacrifice. 
The Day of Atonement every year was a shadow, but Christ dying on the cross where, his, where our certificate of debt was nailed to him, that was the substance. And it's such a substance that if you start to go back to the Day of Atonement every year after Christ died, you actually reject not only Christ, but the Day of Atonement. That's the argument in Hebrews 10. You can't go back. It points forward, and once you get forward, you could never go back. And if you go back to the shadow, you reject not only the substance, but the shadow itself, the whole point of the shadow. It's like me being out of town and watching a video of my kids share their trials and treasures for the day on Marco Polo or something and watch the video that they sent me when I was away. I watch it. I listen to it. I pray for them. I miss them. I long to be with them. Now imagine I sleep next to my phone with their video watched and now I have a picture on, of, of my family on the phone. And I'm missing them. I'm praying for them. I'm thinking of them. And then I finally get home. And I keep watching the video over and over again about their trials and treasures. I keep sleeping with a picture of them while ignoring them. Or even minimizing their presence in comparison to the videos and pictures. That's ridiculous, right? That'd be foolish and ridiculous because it misses the point of the videos and the pictures. Why were the videos and pictures there? Because they're not here, right? They weren't there in my presence. And so it's a stand-in, it's a pointer to the substance, but it in itself is not the substance of me being with them. It's a stand-in for their absence. And so it is with the shadows before Christ comes. Expired biblical judgments are pointers and shadows, but the substance belongs to who? To Christ. So it is with these shadows of the old covenant. Now this was the problem that the Pharisees had with Jesus even before he ascended to heaven. Even before Christ ascended to heaven. You know, um, his disciples were eating foods and then uh, in Mark 7 they're arguing with Jesus. And then Jesus there um, declares that all foods are clean. And so at least from that point on, foods would be clean. And so by the time you get to Peter in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision, right, of all of these animals coming down in his vision. And it's all these unclean animals that they're not supposed to eat. And, and there's a voice from heaven saying, take up and what? Eat, feast, all you can eat. And he's like, Lord, I would never touch any of this stuff. I would never defile myself. Another, it comes again, eat. One more time, eat. Three times, over and over, eat this food. And, and then there's a declaration from heaven that says, um, what God has made clean, do not call impure. So it was unclean at one point, but now God has called it what? Clean. And so therefore, is it okay to eat lobsters? Yes and amen, right? <laughs> yes and amen, right? Praise God that we are no longer under these old covenant restrictions. We are free from at least the old covenant laws and even the old covenant Sabbath laws. There might be a little bit more distinction there, um, and we have even disagreement among our church, perhaps in our, in, our church in our church confession of faith, on exactly the Christian Sabbath. I'd love to talk about that more, but I, I don't want to spend time again and miss finishing the sermon this time around. But, um, but yeah, so, but we're not to keep the old covenant Sabbath laws. Okay, so we need to discern things that were truly biblical, but they're expired biblical judgments, Right? You need to discern those. You need to deny them. Don't let anyone hold on to you and say, well, the Bible says that, so you're supposed to do that. No, those are expired biblical judgments. They're great, and we can still learn from them. Still read your Old Testament, right? Still learn. I still read my Old Testament regularly, but I'm not reading it as if I'm in the Old Covenant Israel and trying to obey those laws. They're pointing to Christ, so I want to read it to worship Christ, to know Christ more. Okay. Secondly, though, not just, not just um, expired biblical judgments, but what's the second one? Discern what? What kind of judgments? 
extra biblical judgments. What do I mean by that? Judgments that are what? Outside the, outside the Bible. Extra biblical. It's outside of the Bible, okay? So extra biblical judgments. We had one in our church when I first got here. Actually, by God's grace, it wasn't in our church. It used to be in this church, but when they changed the constitutions, they forgot to put in the church covenant. And one of the things in the old church covenant was we will abstain. We promise, we engage to abstain from alcohol, like just completely as a beverage. Is that a good um, thing to do or a bad thing to do? Ah, depends. Depends on who you are, and it, it could be good. It could be bad. What is the biblical command, though? Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit, right? Get drunk with the Spirit, not with wine. It's essentially Ephesians 5.18. And that, that is biblical, but, but the, the do not drink alcohol ever under any circumstances or as a beverage is not necessarily biblical. That's outside of the Bible. Okay, that's an illustration of a judgment that might be good or bad for some, some people, but not necessarily something that you can hold with a biblical obligation. Now, look at verse 18, at, at some of these extra-biblical judgments. judgments. Uh, verse 18, let no one condemn you by what? By delighting in what kind of practices? Ascetic practices, abstaining from certain things, and the worship of angels. Let me just give you an, an example of an ascetic practice. In, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it talks about um, staying away from certain foods, um, staying away from certain foods so that you... Um, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit explicitly says in, that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude. So in these ascetic practices, I'm going to be more spiritual. I'm going to, I'm going to have a full life in Christ. Now these are, not trying people, these are not people trying to deny Christ and trying to be anti-Christian. I want the full Christian life. I want to grow in Christ. And I want our church to be a fully spiritual, powerful church. And I want us to experience Christ powerfully in our lives and fully complete and completely. So we need to stay away from certain foods. Or we need to exercise more regularly. Or we need to not get married. We need to forbid marriage. We need, or we need to be married and still abstain from the marriage bed to really prove our love for the Lord and experience the fullness of self-denial. These are things that are not commanded in the Bible. They're outside of the Bible. It's an extra biblical judgment that people are condemning Christians for and saying, if you really want to live a full life, why you're not really that hardcore for Jesus. You don't really trust in Jesus and deny yourself and take up your cross because you're still enjoying the marriage bed or you're getting married when you shouldn't get married. And so they're forbidding and putting rules that are outside of the Bible. Not only do they do ascetic practices and worship of angels, what does it say in verse 18 again? There's a key word there. They're not just doing these things, they're what? Delighting in them. They desire them. It's not, just, it's not just on the outside, it's internal. They have this desire and delight. So where do they, they, where do they find their delight ultimately spiritually? Not in Christ, but in what? In the ascetic practice. See how many, yeah, see, see what I'm doing here? See what I'm giving up from the, from the Lord for my own free will and volition? That shows that I really am enjoying Jesus. Not like you guys, you guys are too lenient. And so they condemn and judge others with these extra biblical judgments. So that's ascetic practices, but it's not just ascetic practices. Also, the worship of angels, 
Now that could be that they're worshiping angels directly. I don't think it, I don't take it that way. I don't think it, it's that because um, I, I don't think this is an, a, an explicitly anti-Christian view. I think it's taking place within the church as people are trying to worship God. So everyone knows you shouldn't be worshiping angels. You shouldn't be worshiping anyone besides God. Um, but I take it, I, I understand it more to be like worshiping with the angels, you could say. Or devotion to angels. And that's clarified by the next phrase. The worship of angels or the devotion of angels claiming what? Access to a visionary realm. Now I'm going to tweak this translation just a little bit. This is a, re a really hard phrase to translate. Okay, but let me tweak it just a little bit. But I think it's mostly good. Claiming, so don't, don't let people condemn you and say you're not spiritual enough. Based on the worship or devotion of angels claiming visionary access to a heavenly temple. I'm going to define the realm there. The realm is the temple, okay? Do you guys get this? People are claiming visionary access to a heavenly temple. This is all about the temple. Do not taste, do not touch. All the Sabbath laws, what's the center of the old covenant regulations? The temple. Why? Who dwells in the temple? God does. And what part of the temple does God dwell in? The holy of Holies, and so hey, if you want to go into the innermost sanctuary, the most holiest of holy places, to be there and experience the fullness of worshiping God, do all of these laws, do ascetic practices. Not only that, you should be getting, you should be devoting, you should follow these visionary, um, angelic visions of worshiping with angels in the heavenly temple. There are some Christians in our church who have access, visionary access, to the heavenly heavenly temple. Follow those brothers and sisters in this church. And when you follow them, you'll get, that, you'll, get the, you'll get to worship God to the fullest in the innermost heavenly temple and sanctuary. Don't you want that? Don't you want communion with God? Don't you want to be close to God? Don't you want to experience his power and his love and his joy and his holiness? Then follow those brothers and sisters who have visionary access to a heavenly temple with the angels. That's second level Christianity. That's serious Christianity. That's beyond baby Christianity. So grow up, Christians, and get to go, go to these visionary heavenly visions with us, and let's go deep with Jesus. Let's go deep with God. That's the claim. That's not in the Bible. There's no commands of that. Though Daniel had visions of angels, so maybe you could go to Old Testament passages where, where there are angelic visions there, and, and then maybe now you're ob obligating or saying, hey, there's some members here who get these visionary things as well. What's wrong with it? What are some traits of what's wrong with this? There are several traits given in the rest of this passage about these extra biblical judgments, ascetic practices, claims to heavenly visions. Let me, let me list several traits for you as we just walk through this passage. I have uh, five traits for you to, to see here. And when you see these traits, there'll also be reasons why you shouldn't do these things or let people condemn you. So here's the first trait. Look at verse 18. When they claim these things, such people are what? Inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual or their fleshly mind. So what's the first reason why you should stay away from these things? Because these kinds of claims, these extra biblical judgments, they inflate you. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their fleshly or unspiritual mind. Remember, um, so, so wh why do we want to resist this? Why do we want to stay away from this? Because it's inflating them with what? Pride, right? They're becoming arrogant. They're looking down on other Christians. They're being self-righteous. Oh, you don't, you don't worship angels? Oh, you don't go that hard for Jesus? You don't do the ascetic practices I do for Jesus? 
And they look down on them. They become puffed up with pride and arrogance. They're inflated. And God resists the proud but gives what? Grace to the humble. So if you, wanna, if you want grace and you want to grow in grace, don't grow in pride. But guess what? These ascetic practices, when you delight in them and you delight in these um, devotions with angels and heavenly visions, you get puffed up with arrogance and inflated with pride. It's hard for me not to think of certain friends I've had in the past who just say, yeah, PJ, you read the Bible. You guys are Bible Christians. But us, we got the real visions. I mean, I have like friends who would like tell me that. Like, you just, you're just missing out. Like, yeah, you guys are true Christians. You guys are just like elementary Christians. Because we do have the Bible, but we also, we also go into the visionary realm. And there's like, a, there's like a, a looking down on those who don't experience those experiences. And this inflation comes, it says in verse 18, by empty notions, right? There's deceit. We don't want empty notions. We want fullness, not emptiness. And they think they're claiming fullness. I got fullness with these emotions. No, they're empty notions. There's nothing there. They're empty notions of their what? unspiritual or fleshly mind. Remember we talked about the body of flesh earlier, last week? What happened to your body of flesh? What happened to your old self? It was what? It was put away. When? In the circumcision of Christ. When Christ was buried, you were buried with him and, you were, and your old self, your body of flesh was put away. Well, guess what? When you start focusing on these extra spiritual, heavenly, spiritual practices of your life, guess what? You think you're so spiritual and you're so full, but your mind is actually what? Fleshly. It's not spiritual. It's fleshly. It's all about food and drink and forbidding the marriage. But it's all these earthly things. And your mind is not going to Christ in heaven. It's fleshly. It's not obeying and submitting to Christ. It's hostile and against Christ. It's fleshly. So they, these things inflate you. Secondly, what else do these thoughts do? Look at verse 19. These people who do this, the person who teaches these things, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth from God. What happens when you hold on to extra-biblical judgments? They detach you from the head. They detach you from your head. And who's your head? Christ. They detach you from Christ. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth from God. Now, I tore my ACL in my right knee, not once, but twice. Same ACL, got it repaired and tore it a second time playing the same sport, basketball. Now, I can still flourish and grow in my life without an ACL in my right knee. I can even play basketball if I wanted to and if my wife let me. <laughs> but I just couldn't play hard and I wouldn't be helpful to my team. I can even go on in life and grow if my legs were amputated. If I had to get my legs amputated for some reason, I can still continue on with my life. I can survive and still grow in Christ if my arms were amputated. I can't go on if my head is amputated, right? There's no more life. And here, extra biblical judgments are detaching them from whom? From what? From the head. These are headless people, they're, they're headless, right? Their spirituality is detached from Christ who's the head, where all growth and life comes from, and they're claiming to have a superior Christianity. You're not even attached to Christ. How, are you, how, how do you have a superior Christianity? You're detached from the head. There is no life. There is no growth. There is no flourishing. When you're detached from the head, 
The crazy thing about letting those who condemn and judge you according to expired and extra biblical judgments, the crazy thing about it is that they're, they're encouraging you to be cut off from Christ the head. And you can't grow if you're cut off from Christ the head. You can't flourish in fullness and completeness spiritually apart from Christ the head. A third trait is in verse 20. If you died with Christ to the elements of the world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? So what is he telling you? If you what? Died with Christ. In other words, if you died with Christ to these regulations and obligations, then are you obligated to these things? Yes or no? No. So here's a third trait. They unnecess these, these extra biblical judgments unnecessarily obligate you. Illegitimately obligate you. And that's why you need to discern them and, and reject them and deny them. You are free in Christ. You died to the elements of the world. You died to the body of flesh. You died to this world and all these empty human tradition arguments. They're dead to you. You don't have to be burdened with them. So his question is, why? Why are you going back to these rules? Why are you going to back, back to these things that are extra biblical? A fourth trait is in verses 20 through 22. If you died with Christ, um, then... To the, to the elements of the world, why do you live as if you still belong to them? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations, verse 22, refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Now notice here, what, are, what, what, what can we say about these extra biblical regulations? They refer to what? What's their, what's their destiny? They're destined to perish. So these judgments are doomed. That's the fourth trait. These judgments, these extra biblical judgments are doomed. When they prohibit touching, don't taste, don't touch, don't handle, these things that they're not supposed to touch are going to perish, right? The things you're not supposed to taste, these foods that you're not supposed to, you're supposed to stay away from, it's going to perish. The marriage bed that you might be forbidding, that's going to perish too. There is no uh, marriage in heaven. Those things are going to perish. They're not going to help you flourish spiritually if you, if you deny yourself these things. It doesn't help. Okay? It's destined to perish. They're doomed to perish. They do not help you in flourishing spiritually. And then lastly, verse 23, although these regulations have a reputation for wisdom, man, angels, the book of Daniel, Worshiping God in fullness, denying yourself and taking up your cross, denying yourself daily and following Jesus. Although these, these extra biblical regulations have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, humility in quotes, air quotes, right? False humility, but it's, the word is just humility, but it's like they promote humility and severe treatment of the body, self-control. What's the reality? They are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. In other words, the fifth trait is that they fail you. Extra biblical judgments fail you. They're worthless. They are of no value, of no worth. Extra biblical rules don't help you fight the flesh. They don't help you fight sin. They don't help you fight pride. They don't help you fight self-centeredness or selfishness or God-belittling religious and good work efforts and accomplishments. They don't help you fight self-righteousness. These extra biblical rules are worthless. They're not even a little good. They are no good. They are worthless. Zero value. Zero value to your growth. Zero value in helping you fight the sin and hostility in your mind. Because even though our, our old self is dead, we still wrestle with our old nature, right? The flesh and the spirit wage war within us. Galatians chapter 5. 
So these are five traits of why you should um, discern and deny extra biblical judgments. Os Guinness has written, as sinful human being, as sinful human beings, we have an instinctual compulsive bias toward forms of religion that we ourselves can create and control. We like to be original. We like to, to carve our own path. I create this path for spirituality. I can control this path. I can control my growth. I can control my fullness and my, my, my flourishing in Christ. So we need to discern and deny these things. Okay, those are two things. So we need to discern and deny expired biblical judgments, and we need to discern and deny extra biblical judgments, right? Now I have a question for you guys. Are all rules, are all rules and all regulations and all practices, are they all bad all the time? Which ones are good? Which commands and regulations are good? The ones in God's word, biblical ones. Okay? Not extra biblical ones, not expired ones, but yeah, the ones in God's word that apply to the biblical ones. Okay, question. Can these biblical ones, can these biblical regulations go bad or be bad for you too? In some ways? Can they? Yes or no? Okay, when? This is important for us because we love the Bible. We want to follow biblical regulations. When can biblical regulations go bad for you or for us? Say, hey, Jevin. If we use them as a weapon. Okay, anyone else? Wrong time, misapplied. Yeah. So, so just because it's in the Bible and actually still live and applied today, even biblical judgments might need to be discerned and denied. But when is the key, right? Obviously, they're biblical. You can't just d deny biblical judgments. When? Let me illustrate this first. Okay. Um, well, um, let, let, let's think of some, some biblical judgments. Our church covenant, good or bad? Good. Some of you say great, right? Our, our, our church covenant, um, should it be added to the Bible? I'm just kidding. No. Um, extra biblical? No. Our church covenant, what do we promise in our church covenant? That we're going to be, we're committed, to, we're committed to this church as an institution, to gather and to, 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 to support this institution. We're committed to holiness personally. We're committed to making Christ known to the lost and to our neighbors, right? And to spread the gospel around the world. We are committed to and we promise to love one another and bear each other's burdens. We promise in our church covenant to join another local church when we leave this local church. Those are regulations. Those are obligations, can it go bad? Can those things go bad? Can a church covenant be used in a bad way? Yes. yes. What about accountability to those who sinfully miss our Sunday gatherings? Is it right? Are we obligated to gather with the church and not neglect gathering together? Yes or no? Yes. Can we hold each other accountable in a wrong way or in a bad way? Yes. What about desiring to pray? My prayer request to a lot of you, if I've talked to you this week, was that you Pray that I would pray 20 minutes a day with the goal to get back to, I had a seminary class my fall, my first fall of 2002. Um, my first seminary class was on prayer and we, our homework was to pray an hour a day. And we had to report that. And I was like, an hour a day? Who could pray that? But now, I'm just personally, I, at, at my age now, I'm like, I want to pray an hour a day. And so now my prayer request is to pray 20 minutes a day. And I want to discipline myself to pray 20 minutes a day. Anything wrong with that? Is that wrong in and of itself? Can it become wrong? Yes, it can, right? But, that, but it says in Colossians 4, verse 6, or 4, verse 2, be devo devote yourselves to prayer. It's a biblical command. Devote yourselves to prayer. 
What about confessing? I mean, um, Aaron came in and led us in a prayer of confession. He talked about confessing some of our sin, failing to confess our sins to others and hiding them out of embarrassment where we actually let those sins continue to be cultivated in our hearts and minds. Is it a good thing to confess your sins to one another? Are we commanded to do that? Yes, it is. Can that go wrong? Can you have an unhealthy lifestyle or culture in a church of confessing sin? Is that possible? Yes. What about pursuing six or seven, eight, maybe even nine marks of a healthy church? Can that, can that go wrong? Can that be a bad thing? Is that, is that good? <laughs> now, okay, so the answer, obviously, is that we can't, we can't get rid of these bibli uh, biblical commands all the way because it's the Bible, right? And we don't want to even do that. But why is it that even sometimes these biblical commands and biblically warranted principles and practices lead us astray? Because they do. They do. Why? I have three traits here. Why? One is because you can have a biblical command that is set in a deceptive argument. You can have a biblical judgment in a wrong argument. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with what? With arguments that sound what? Reasonable. And why does it sound reasonable? Because it's a biblical judgment. It's a biblical command. It sounds reasonable, but it's placed in an argument that is wrong, that is based on human tradition, verse 8, or empty deceit. So the problem is not the biblical command or the biblical judgment, but the argument within which the command is placed. For example, don't neglect gathering with your church family and encouraging one another as the day approaches so that God will eventually make you a Christian. Is that true or false as a, as a whole? Is that true or false? False, right? You don't become a Christian. You don't get saved by going to church. It's a biblical command said in an argument that is false. What part is biblically true? Go, go gather together, right? And what, Paul, what part is false? So that you can become a Christian. Okay, so, so these biblical commands can be placed in unbiblical arguments, and therefore it can actually do damage, okay? A second trait to discern biblical judgments that are um, bad for you, or why it could be bad for you, a second trait is that they are in accord, in accord with erroneous principles. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to, it's really according to, but based on is okay, according to what? Human tradition and according to what? The elements of the world rather than according to whom? Christ. So, so what happens is you can take a biblical judgment and you could set it according to a standard that is unbiblical. This is another way of talking about uh, arguments, but I'm just using a different word here. Where I'm, ta I'm talking about the according to. So if I say this phone is five inches. I don't know how, how, how tall this phone is, but let's say this, this phone is five inches. Well, according to what? What would we do to, to know this? What would I need? A ruler, right? You take a ruler and you put it right here next to it, and it, you're going to measure it according to the ruler, Right? That is the standard by which I'm measuring this, okay? Now, what, what Paul is saying in Colossians 2.8 is that you can even have true judgments, biblical judgments, that are measured or according to a human tradition. 
It's set in a different, it's, it's set with a different standard. Uh, with a human tradition or a, um, the elements of the world rather than according to whom? Who is the true ruler? The, the, the true measurement, the true standard of measurement? Christ, right? It has to accord with Christ. Sometimes our judgments, biblical judgments, are not according to Christ. Verse 22 also gets at this, where it talks about human commands and doctrines. A third trait, and really the main one, in talking about according to Christ, is that, look at verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 is really the key here. When you have these regula regulations, even biblical regulations, if you have it in such a way that you don't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God, then it's not helpful. In other words, a, a, a third trait of biblical judgments going awry, going astray, is that they marginalize Jesus. It marginalizes Jesus. Can you keep a biblical command and still move farther from Jesus, yes or no? You can, right? You can marginalize Jesus. You can do it in a way that you're not holding on to the head. You're not depending on the head. You're not abiding in the head. You're not relying on the head. You're not looking to the head. You're not worshiping the head. You're not doing it for the head. Even though it's a biblical thing to do, you can come to church, right? And dishonor God. You can come to church in a way that moves you further from God and not closer to God. Because you could come to church this Sunday, you can listen to a one-hour sermon and not hold on to the head. You can marginalize Christ and say, oh, well, God, you owe me now because I went to church today. That's not holding on to the head. That's pushing the head away. I don't need the head. I'm going to do it by my own obedience of biblical commands. And Christ is marginalized. And that really is the, that really is the key. The final standard is Christ authoritatively revealed in the scriptures. So why can a biblical command go wrong? Because it marginalizes Christ. Maybe it assumes Christ, but it shifts the center subtly. You're shifted away from hope and reliance on Christ to something or someone else for some other motivation with some other goal, any of those differences, and Christ is pushed out from the center. He is no longer the standard. It is not according to Christ. It's not rightly related to Christ. It's not from Christ and through Christ and to Christ. And that to me is the way I want to give you the standard. So here's how you test how you're doing even with your biblical judgments. Is it from him? Is it through him? Is it in him? And is it for him? If it is, great, keep doing it. If it's not then you need to discern that and deny it and reject it lest you grow in pride and, and distance yourself from Christ. I'm talking about biblical commands here, right? Biblical commands. Are, is, is this from him? So now you're testing, is it biblical? But am I doing it in him, united to him? Am I doing it through him, depending on him? Am I doing it for him, for his glory? If so, you're not going to go astray. But even if you take biblical commands, and this is tricky, and the reason why I'm spending a lot of time on this here, brothers and sisters, is because if you go on social media or you listen to internet preachers, there are all kinds of people using Bible verses, using biblical judgments in unbiblical arguments and according to unbiblical standards and for unbiblical motivations or goals or reasons or sources that are apart from Christ, and it sounds reasonable. That's verse 4, right? I say this so that, no one, so that none of you will be deceived with arguments that sound reasonable. We are Bible people, so let me just change it. I don't want you to be deceived by arguments that sound biblical. 
Because it is a biblical judgment, but not a biblical argument. And brothers and sisters, we need to discern that because every one of us have some biblical commands that we are not holding right at different points in our lives, right? I'm going to become legalistic at times in this church. Just I'm a sinner. I'm going to sometimes, as a pastor, I might legally, legalistically obligate you to something. I might licentiously pull away from an actual biblical command. You're going to always need to be testing things, right? We need to take every thought captive to whom? Christ, right? Captive to Christ in obedience to Christ. So when a biblical command is not rooted in, dependent on, and moving toward Jesus Christ, then that command is not connected to our internal communion with Christ the head. And it is merely an external biblical judgment. That's the third category. You have expired biblical judgments, you have extra biblical judgments, and then you have external biblical judgments. They are biblical. They're just external. It's not getting to the heart. It's not communing with Christ. It's not for Christ. It's not worship. And therefore, it's merely external obedience without internal communion and union with Christ. So I have a question for you by way of application. Does your biblical judgment take you deeper into Christ or does it marginalize Christ? What do you feel obligated to? What are you, what are you burdened by right now? What responsibilities do you have on your shoulders right now that you feel like I really need to do this because God wants me to do it? We all have something, right? My question is, to you is, does that obligation push you deeper into Christ? Are you relying on him and are you moving towards him? Or is Christ absent or marginalized, he's there, but he's on the side, as you do your thing. If that's true, you're more susceptible to be taken captive eventually by false teaching and eventually go astray. So it doesn't start with you just rejecting Jesus. It starts with you pushing Jesus a little bit off the center to the side, and to the side, and to the side, and to the side, until he's gone. When you trust and renew your focus and communion with Christ... You continually seek to obey him and appropriate ideas according to and based on and fitted correctly, related rightly to Christ Jesus. And when you do this, look at verse 20 again. When, you, when, you, when we all do this as a church, what happens to the church? When you hold to Christ the head, look at the very, this, this is the, the sweetest part for me from this whole passage that I found most encouragement is the last phrase of verse 19. When you hold to the head, when we hold to the head as a church, we will grow, and here's my favorite phrase, with a growth, finish it, from God. Who wants to grow with a growth from God? That's what we want, right? That's what we want. I want to grow with a growth from God. I want our church to grow with a growth from God. I want to grow as a husband and as a father and as a neighbor with a growth, not from PJ, not from BBC, not from biblical philosophies or theology or from other authors or other preachers. I want to grow with a growth from God. That's what we want. And God gives it to us. This is the amazing thing, that God wants us to grow. We don't have to be obligated by these things. You don't have to grow yourself. We don't have to do, like, God wants to grow us. Let me just confess something here as I'm about to apply this in close. So for me, so I want to say, what, what are some, 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 some biblical or extra biblical or expired biblical things that you are holding to that you are using in a way that's actually pushing you away from Christ? I'll tell you one of mine. Here's my takeaway, right? Application to me. Trust, so I'm a, as a pastor and as a parent and as a husband, trust God's sovereignty and don't doubt God's goodness. True or false? True, right? But the way that's worked out in my life is, therefore, if you miss prayer time, that's okay. God's gonna grow the church anyways, if he does. 
And if he doesn't, that's his sovereignty anyways. He's going to work in your family whether you pray or not. You see how, how it's, um, so if I say, trust God's sovereignty and goodness, God is sovereign over everything, so therefore I don't need to pray. It's good to pray, but if I don't, if I don't pray, it's not a big deal. It's, it's no deal at all. No, it's inconsequential. Is that true or false? The whole thing. That's a bad argument, right? But that, part, that is probably my best internal self-examination of why I'm not praying as, as I ought to be devoted to prayer, right? So what is it for you? What are the, what are the, extra biblical or expired biblical or external biblical commands and regulations you have. If you're a teenager, maybe it's obey my parents or be accepted by my friends in school or get good grades. If you're a church member, maybe it's keep the church covenant or attend Sunday gatherings or make sure I could share and not just have a shallow conversation because then I'll be less spiritual. Or maybe for the church, it's let's be a healthy church or an evangelistic church or a loving church or a nine marks church. For the elderly, maybe the command is, the, the obligation is to perfectly leave a wonderful legacy. Or I need to keep regretting that I didn't do more. If you're single, maybe the, the obligation on you is be content in your singleness. Or just get married. Or be patient. Or trust God's plan. If you're a spouse, maybe the command and obligation is fix your spouse. Or fix yourself for your spouse. Or do better. If you're a parent, maybe it's raise well-mannered kids. Or make sure they're saved. Or plant gospel seeds. Or be cool and impress your kids. Or impress your community with how cool your, or how good your kids are. Or do family devotions consistently and have meaningful conversations. And never lose your patience with your children. Or maybe it, as an employee, it's get that promotion. Outperform your coworkers. Build your team. Impress your boss. Reach your goals. Or if you're a pastor, grow your church. Make sure everyone is happy. Impress people with your preaching or your counseling or your warmth or your humor. Speak prophetically and insightfully into the culture and politics and public policy. There's so many obligations, some good, some bad, right? Some externally biblical, some extra biblical, some expired biblical. I didn't say any expired biblical here. But you need to reject expired and extra biblical judgments. Don't be condemned by them. Don't be judged by them. And you need to reorient external biblical regulations and re relate them internally to your communion with the preeminent Christ. That's the takeaway. That's the main thing. If you're discouraged, here's the good news for you. God wants you to go deeper and fuller in Christ. God has provided all you need to grow today and this week. God not only wants to, God works in you and God will grow you against sin and against your, against your old self and he will move you towards completion and maturity in Christ. Here's the good news, brothers and sisters. God will grow you. God will mature you. God will establish you in Christ. God will renew your establishment in Christ. God will build you in the faith. God will do it in Christ. All we need to do at least according to Colossians 1.28, flip side is listen to Christ proclaim to us. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. God, so maybe the main takeaway here is listen to God proclaiming Christ to you in the Sunday sermon, in takeaways, in conversations, in your Bible reading. Okay, the main goal, discern and deny, captivating in Christ, marginalizing arguments and judgments. Not just judgments, but arguments. We too easily fall for and embrace extra biblical regulations, don't we? And we take pride in it. I've, I'm embarrassed to say it, but that's true, even as a pastor. And we're too easily captivated by external biblical commands 
in such a way that we are content when we're not internally communing, communing with the Lord. We easily hollow out our hearts by holding and finding confidence. I'm obeying God. But this denial, this rejection is a violation of God's holiness. It's an attack on Christ's glory and sufficiency. Man, and they sound so reasonable, right? It looks so biblical. It's so BBC to do it this way. And yet it pushes Christ away. So what do we deserve? We deserve damnation. I mean, who can discern these things? Who can perfectly walk not giving into extra biblical judgments, expired biblical judgments, or even just obeying biblical judgments externally? Who can do this? None of us can. But Christ did, right? Christ always abided with the Father. He always trusted God. He, also, he always worshiped God not just with his hands, but with his heart and with his head. He always discerned and denied unbiblical practices, and yet he was rejected for our Christ-marginalizing lives. That happens too frequently and consistently in our lives. Christ died for us. He lived for us, and he died for us so that he can present us holy, faultless, and blameless before him as it says in Colossians 1.22. So brothers and sisters, keep learning and obeying and enjoying Christ Jesus. That's, that's Colossians 2.6, continue in Christ, in communion with your church family, and in heeding your pastors preaching Christ to you and others preaching Christ to you. If you don't keep learning and obeying Jesus and enjoying Jesus, you'll be persuaded by lies. Christ will slowly get marginalized more and more in your life, and you'll drift and possibly shift away from the hope of the gospel, as it says in Colossians 1.23. But if you hold to Christ and you keep communing with Christ regularly and learning Christ together as a church family, you will grow in discernment. You'll grow in repentance. You'll continue with Christ into our resurrected fullness, which is just around the corner. Christ is coming soon. Just hold on a little bit longer. Ideas are powerful because they are captivating. So continue to be captivated by Christ so that you escape the captivity of Christ-marginalizing arguments and Christ-marginalizing judgments that endanger your soul. I'll give you a minute to pray on your own, and I'll close this in prayer. I'll give you 30 seconds to pray on your own. Father, who can stand before you in your perfect and infinite holiness? Even in our best, we take biblical judgments and hold on to them externally. And that often inflates us with pride. Lord, we want to please you in all respects. We want to walk worthy of you. And so fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Fill us with Christ. You, you filled us in Christ. And you keep filling us in Christ. And you keep us filled in Christ. So help us to keep looking to Christ. To continue in Christ. And as we'll learn next week, to seek Christ 
who is above, to set our mind on things above, on Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that when we fail, you forgive us. And when we're doing well, you sustain us. Thank you that when we're weak, we have brothers and sisters to encourage us and strengthen us along the way. Hold us fast. And we pray for all of our kids and all of us here who are currently professing faith in Christ, that we would continue in Christ and avoid and deny external biblical arguments, extra biblical arguments, and expired biblical arguments. And hold, hold to Christ all the way to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.